Thank you. Hey, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. Happy New Year. It's only January 19th, y'all. You already kind of forgotten? Anybody made some New Year's resolutions that you've already broken? There's all kind of murmuring. <laughs> Is Greg Kelly here? Greg Kelly. Where are you? Oh, there you are. I want to welcome Greg Cooper. Wake, uh, stand up. Is Cooper here? Yep. They are checking out North Central today. Greg is from, yeah. Greg is from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and that's where we met um, him when he had five years of bliss in Grand Rapids. <laughs> the snow and the cold, that was our first experience. And so anyway, yeah, make sure that you make Cooper feel welcome today. And um, it's great to see you guys. Good to have you here. Um, so talking about New Year's resolutions, um, I looked up some funny New Year's resolutions that I just thought I'd share with you this morning before I start. So this first one says this. It's my New Year's resolution to lose 15 pounds. I still have 35 to go. Can I feel, has anybody got a witness on that one? My New Year's resolution has been to stop procrastinating for like six years. I'd love to say that my new, year, my new Year is a new me, but I'm only two stamps away from a free meal at KFC loyalty card. It would be silly to ruin that now, right? I've decided, as my New Year's re resolution, I've decided to put my past behind me. So if I owe you money, I'm sorry, but I've moved on. <laughs> How many know good intentions are great, but unless you put action to your intention, come on, somebody, unless you put action to your intention, nothing is going to happen. Amen? Amen. Um, so this, uh, as I was praying, there's a, the Lord gave me a word for somebody, and the little girl right here in the fourth row with the hat on, black hat, can you stand up a minute? What's your name? Megan? Um, the Lord just wanted me to share this with you, and I don't know if I'm kind of new at doing this, so I'm stepping out in faith. So if it doesn't make sense, then just let it go. And if it does, great, okay? I think sometimes it's more about me being obedient than it is about the person receiving. So, <laughs> so um, the word that came to me was reeling, that, that you... Um, either are reeling from something that has happened in your life. Maybe it has already happened. It's going to happen. I'm not sure if it's already happened or maybe it's going to happen. But he wants you to know that um, he is not caught off guard by what has happened or is going to happen and that you are, he is setting you up for a breakthrough. Okay? So put that in your heart. Okay, so I have a question for you. Have you ever had a really bad day? Anybody ever had just a really bad day? Every day. <laughs> yeah. So if you, were, if you were really honest with yourself, how did you respond to that really bad day? So what was your ammo? Tell somebody next to you. What was your ammo? 
Maybe it was that you isolated. Anybody like to isolate when they have a bad day? Maybe you just like to complain about it. Just tell everybody around you so they all have to be, be um, bummed out with you. Maybe you just get angry. Anybody get angry? Maybe you just like watch TV. I'm just going to just chill. I'm going to veg out, watch TV. Anybody get overwhelmed and shut down? Yeah. Anybody go out and shoot some hoops? Just got to just got to therapy, shoot some hoops. How many know bad days come and go, but sometimes it feels like they stay, doesn't it? Sometimes it just feels like, or the ramifications of those bad days, they just stay. When we have trials, it can affect us. It can affect us for, the, for a long period of time if we let them. Because it's all about our response to the bad day. It really is. We could easily get lodged in like a vortex of the bad day. And it can affect us over a period of time and really mess with us, right? I want to talk to you today about James chapter 1. Something, you know, a scripture that we all know, we probably memorized it. But I wanted to read it to you with some explanation behind it. The Bible says in James chapter 1 to consider it pure joy. Don't you love that? To consider it pure joy. It kind of just disarms everything that you have thought about how you wanted to handle it. Consider it all joy. That actually means to lead with authority. The word, the phrase consider it all joy means to lead with authority. When you encounter trials, and trials are the condition of things. So when you encounter the condition of things, whether you're enticed to sin, whether it's a testing of your integrity or your virtue, which is your high moral standard, or your consistency, knowing that the testing of your faith, which is your conviction of truth, produces in you endurance which is your steadfast, your ability to have steadfast, patient waiting. Who likes to wait in here? Yeah, nobody. Nobody raised their hand. And it must finish its work so that you may be complete, not lacking anything. So if we were to reread it in a different light, it says to lead with authority when you encounter conditions that entice you to sin, that test your integrity, your virtue and consistency, because you know that your conviction of truth will produce a steadfast, patient waiting all the way through to the completed work. As a result, you will be able to finish well, and it will be abundant. So staying true to your conviction, no matter what the cost. I've noticed a really disturbing trend as I've just been traveling quite a bit this last season in the body of Christ, not in just your generation, but in the body of Christ, as we see our society deteriorating, there is a lack of ability to steadfastly wait patiently. We don't, in trial and in difficulty, we lack authority. The generation, not just your generation, but as well my generation, has no ability to wait. We are not good with obscurity. We're not good with silence. We need loudness. We need to be on stage. We need to be in front of people. 
in the face of resistance, we lose sight of what is right and what is true. We, are, we grow weary too fast. It's all a ploy of the enemy to disarm us and to disable us. We're swayed too easily from the truth, and technology and the internet, none of that, it's all weakened us. It hasn't helped us completely and totally. It's weakened us because we don't have the ability to wait and to stand firm until the answer comes. So how do we continue in this society and in this world to lead with authority? Because that is what God has uh, equipped us to do, to lead with authority and to grow steadfastly in our faith and not just here in this room or even in this building or in your classrooms or in church. It's about leading with authority in your world. We want to look at the life of David this morning because he gives us some incredible insight on how to lead with authority in our lives. Look at David in his process from the pastor to the palace. You all know his story probably so well. You've probably studied it. You've probably read it a million times in the book. But to find out from the pastor to the palace, what did it produce in David? There's a lot we don't know about David in his young life by walking with him day to day. He kind of comes on the scene in a moment. And so we want to find out what do we know? We know that in his life, we, he had a whole host of bad days. Someone say bad days. And what we see is the result of something that's very powerful in his life, and we can learn from it. So David, in his early life, he had two training grounds. David experienced two different training grounds before he became king. The first one was the pasture, and the second one was wilderness. Training ground number one, he was a shepherd, right? Does everybody know that? David started out as a shepherd very young. And this was the training ground of obscurity. And David, in this training ground, he's just doing his job. This was the family business. He was tending the sheep. He was the youngest. So how many know the youngest gets the yuck job? Does anybody have siblings in this room? Does anybody have like in your family, was there like a strong pecking order in your family? My family, our four kids, there was a very strong pecking order. Jocelyn was in charge. She was the oldest. We called her the Holy Spirit. I think I've told you that before. She had her three brothers in the palm of her hand. They led, they watched, they followed. And whenever we got in the car, Jocelyn got the best seat, Tyler got the next best, and the boys were in the back every time. No matter what we did, there was always this very strong pecking order. We didn't try to do it. It just happened that way. So David is very young. He's the youngest, and he gets this yuck job, go out and tend the sheep. And it was turned out in his life to be a boot camp to intimacy. We've been talking a lot about intimacy, and I think God has something in, in that for us. Because everybody, every time I'm in chapel, you're in chapel more than I am, but every time I'm in chapel, someone's talking about intimacy. So intimacy is clearly something that God's trying to talk to us about right now. This was the boot camp of intimacy, because in doing David's normal life, just doing the family business, he developed some incredible traits in his inner life. David discovered God doing the yuck job. 
He became comfortable with silence. He honed his ear to the voice of God because it was so quiet out there. He learned to hear God's voice, to recognize God's voice, and to understand God's voice, which was going to be very important for his life. Did he know that he was in training? No, he was just living his life. He developed accuracy as he's standing out there for hours and hours and the sheep are uh, grazing or they're sleeping and he's got his slingshot and he's practicing at every tree and every rock. He's developing his accuracy in his weapon, with his weapon, which then at the same time developing courage to know that he could face Goliath because he hit the lion and the bear in the pasture, in his training ground. He developed complete reliance on God for victory because there was nobody there to help him, right? Sheer trust and absolute dependence are, is what he learned in that place of obscurity when he was just doing his job. And when no one was looking, he was pouring out his heart in worship. He was playing the harp uh, quite possibly to calm the sheep, but it was also unto the Lord. He was worshiping the Lord and singing in worship and developing his relationship with God in that place of obscurity. Tending the sheep gave him the heart of God because God cares for his sheep. So he learned how to tend the sheep, and he developed that heart for God and for people. It was just his job, but it was his training ground that developed David's inner life. Very important. We have to be able to uh, be willing to walk through that process, that training ground. Then he gets discovered. He gets called out to the palace. No, no to his second training ground. You have this scene, and David gets called from the pasture to his house, and Samuel's there. And suddenly, Samuel is pouring oil over David's head, and he's being anointed, and, and um, he hears the word king, and he hears the word royalty, and there's vision being cast. And I'm sure David's kind of going, wait, what's going on here? I'm the youngest. I'm, I'm not really the one in line for this, but I know what this means because I saw this happen to Saul. So I, I, I must be being anointed as king, and so this is like my coming out party. So I, I'm okay. I guess I'm ready. But how many know just because you're being anointed doesn't mean you're ready for the assignment? And so he didn't get put into the palace like Saul did. Saul got anointed and then put into the palace, and we all know how that ended up. No, David got anointed as king, and then he, for 10 to 13 years, went into the second boot camp. And this boot camp was the one of obstacles. So he had obscurity, and then he had obstacles. He had Several highs, but mostly lows in this boot camp. He had battles. He was rejected. He was abandoned. He suffered loss. He had to run. He had to hide. It was not a good time. But what happens in those 13 years makes him ready inside and out for the assignment that was on his life. 
And we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30, if you will turn in your Bibles if you have them or on your phones. We're going to read that in a minute. But as we come into this story, David has already been anointed king. He has killed Goliath. He's found favor with Saul. He now has a best friend named Jonathan. He married Saul's daughter. He catches, but then Saul catches wind by the song, uh, Saul slayed his thousands and David slayed his ten thousands. And so suddenly Saul's realizing that he's not quite as popular as he thought and the people are starting to like David more. And so then Saul spends a decade trying to kill David. We all know that story. And so David is forced into the wilderness to hide. He forms an army with other rejects, okay? And then they actually join forces with the Philistine army. He actually joins forces with the enemy to to fight the enemies of Israel. And the Philistines have him settle in Ziklag with his army of rejects. This is a fast story. Um, And then they get ready to go to battle. But then the Philistines are going to now battle the Israelites, and they discover that David has actually been anointed to lead the Israelites, so then they become afraid. And so then uh, David uh, gets kicked out of the enemy's army. Achish kicks him out. So now he's been rejected by Saul, and now he's been rejected by his enemy. Can someone say bad day? And we come into the story in 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 through 6, and I want to read it to you. It says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites, who are, the Amalekites were dwellers, and they were um, in the land, they, they were like squatters. And the Amalekites, David had fought the Amalekites before, and ha- have you ever had like an enemy or someone who you just can't shake. You just can't get rid of that. Or maybe it's a bad, bad um, habit that you have. You just can't shake it. That's what the Amalekites were like. They just kept coming. They were always there. They weren't going away. The Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. And they had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive the women and everyone in it. Both young and old, they killed, and they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it and destroyed it by fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. So David and his men, because they had just came back to Ziklag, because they had been rejected by the army, by the enemy, they came back and they wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, and um, David was greatly distressed because then his army of rejects, the ones that he had gathered together and gave a home and gave a community, now wanted to stone him because they were bitter in spirit because of their sons and daughters. And the Bible said David found strength in the Lord his God. So not only had Saul rejected him, then the enemy rejected him. Now David is being rejected and wanting and going to be killed by the people that he gave some kind of community and relationship with. Somebody say bad day. 
David endured more difficulty, more betrayal, more persecution, and more rejection than we probably would have in our entire lifetime put together. Nobody's been through the stuff that David's been through. And this is his training ground. This was his boot camp. This is what, what God was using to make him ready. What kind of God do we serve? I want to give you a visual, a current visual of what it might have looked like as a, for the result of this training ground. Training ground. Go ahead and play the video. Do you get it? 
The training ground is all about trust. Trusting God when it doesn't make sense. Trusting God when you don't understand. Trusting God when it's hard. David's response shows us how to do it. He strengthened himself. He went away and he found strength in the Lord. That word strengthened means to secure himself. David secured himself in what he knew about God. He sustained himself about what he had learned. He encouraged himself in what God had, how God had been there for him. That word means to prevail, which means to prove more powerful than the opposing force. That means no matter what is coming your way, no matter what is coming at you, you will prevail if you will choose to strengthen yourself in the Lord. How many know you have a choice? You have a choice about, it's not about what we encounter, it's about how we respond to what we encounter. David put his foot down on the truth. He knew what he knew about God. Where did he learn that? He learned it in the training ground of obscurity and of obstacles. He learned restraint, not to react to his circumstances, but to respond in them. And it shows in his writings in the Psalms when he says in Psalm 71, he says, rescue me, O God, out of the hand of the wicked. Now that sounds kind of desperate, but really in reality, he was calling upon God because in Psalms 34, the Lord, he says, the Lord rescues, uh, the, he rescues his servants. So David was not calling upon God in desperation or in lack or in doubt. He was calling upon the Lord because he knew that God rescues the righteous. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can call out to God in our difficulty and we are desperate because we don't believe because we're doubting in that moment. But if we will strengthen ourselves in what we know about God and what we're learning about God, we may cry out, but we are crying out from a place of confidence, not a place of doubt. David said, my hope is in you, God. You're my confidence in my, from my youth to now. Psalms 37, he says, I will trust in the Lord. I will delight in the Lord. I will commit my way to the Lord. I will be still and know before you. Because you make my steps firm and you uphold me with your hand. The confidence that David walked in, that's how you strengthen yourself in the Lord. Psalms 18, he says, you're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my deliverer. I take refuge in you in this moment because you're my shield. You are the horn of my salvation. And I'm going to take courage in you because you're my light and you're my salvation. So I don't have to fear anybody. You are the one who brings me through. You're the strength of my life. All of that shows us that he had tasted and that he had seen that the Lord is good that he can be confident in what he knew about God. And so even in the face of all of that, all the rejection, all of the abandonment, all the things that were coming at him and coming against him, he was able to lead with authority because he knew who God was and he was not shaken. That's how we have to stand in our society today, in our lives, the things that we're going to face It's a simple truth, but our response 
is to know our God, to find strength in him, to declare his goodness, to encourage ourselves because it is God who it goes before us. We have to lead with authority, take advantage of the training ground that you may be in right now. Learn what you need to learn about God. What does he want to be for you in this moment? I want you to stand with me together. And we're going to go to prayer, and this is the Friday prayer and fasting. And if you have been struggling with your response to what you are dealing with, what you are going through, we need to take that to the Lord today. We need to not freak out and not uh, doubt, but we need to come to the Lord and we need to find strength in what we know about the Lord. So today, God, I pray, Father, for every one of us, Lord, we've all faltered in this, we've all messed up, we've made mistakes, we've gone the wrong direction, but God, today, God, as you are calling us into intimacy, because that is where we discover our confidence, God, to know, Father, that when we step out and we um, face the enemy, God, we have confidence to know that you are there, that you have provided, that you have given us everything that we need, that we don't have to cry out to say, rescue me from a place of lack, but we cry out, rescue me because we know that you rescue us, God. We don't have to question, God. Thank you for who you are and what you provide for us, God. We are so grateful for that, God, and I just thank you in Jesus' name. So today, as you go to prayer, or you maybe just have to go somewhere else, you can't be a part of the prayer and fasting, I just want you to focus on that 1 Samuel chapter 30. His response that he, he inquired of the Lord, and he strengthened himself in the Lord. Amen? Amen. God bless you.